Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his dialogue, The Phaedo, Plato has Socrates discussing the immortality of the soul, among a lot of other topics, with some of his interlocutors. And Simeus and Cabes, these two Thebans, they're the ones who actually raise some of the, the most pressing worries or objections about whether the soul could, in fact, be immortal, which is, you know, important because Socrates is about to die. He's about to drink hemlock and lose his life. So does he have any good reason for the confidence that he says he has that he's going to live another life? One of the possible objections to this that's raised is a worry on Simeus's part. And this is a really interesting idea. So just by itself, I think it'd be worth you know having its own core concept video. But we also want to look at Socrates' response to it, because those arguments are also quite interesting. And then we, we want to think about what would actually be proven by Socrates' arguments. Does it actually prove that the soul is immortal? Or does it just prove that this concept of the soul is mistaken? So what is Simeus's worry? Simeus says, maybe the soul is like a musical instrument. He talks about a lyre or a harp, but you could think of a guitar or really anything you like. Or we'll think about a piano, right? Or, or any, any uh, instrument that you like. And the instrument has strings. Those strings make a kind of harmony, or maybe a chord, we would think of this in terms of. Although they didn't do a lot of chordal stuff back then, it was more arpeggios, you know, playing the notes of a chord up and down. But think about a guitar. You strum the guitar, think about a banjo, you know, you strum the banjo. Banjo's tuned to play the G chord, even if you don't have anything fretted. Guitar, I think, is tuned to an E chord or something like that. Okay, so you've got the instrument, you've got its strings, and you've got all these other things like tuning pegs and all that, but we don't have to worry about that. And you play them, and that makes a harmony. Now, the harmony is, you would say, secondary, ontologically. The harmony comes after all the other stuff. It's a product or a function of the other stuff. So maybe the soul is like that. Maybe the soul is actually a harmony of the body, and its elements, or its parts, or however you want to think about that. Now, how is the body like a guitar, or a piano, or any other sort of stringed instrument? It's not that much like it. But, but the general idea is that elements being put together in certain ways, and, and working in certain ways, would produce this effect of the soul. And so long as the elements are together in the right way, the soul remains but you, you, you know, think about the musical instrument, smash the guitar, even cut the strings, no more harmony. Uh, destroy the body, can't have a harmony of the body's elements then, right? They're, they're all scattered, they go into different places. And by elements, you know, Socrates or Plato is thinking of things like hot, cold, you know, warm, dry, all those sorts of things, a physical account. But you could also think in terms of, of other things. What would cutting the strings be like? Well, an awful lot of who we are is dependent on our brains or on our hormonal systems or on other things. So imagine you radically damage something like that. That would be sort of like screwing up the strings, and therefore the effect would be lost. So in this case, the soul. Now, were there any people who actually thought this at the time in ancient Greece? 
Yeah. Arguably, the Pythagoreans, who were very interested in music and numbers and stuff like that, who tended to see things in terms of numbers, ratios, all those sorts of things, they taught something kind of like this. If you read another Platonic dialogue, the Symposium, you'll actually see this character, Eryximachus, and he's putting forth a, a point of view that is more or less compatible with this. He's, he's a medical doctor, and he talks about the, the body and its harmonies and stuff like that, and he actually uses the word harmony. What about today? Are there people who see the soul, or if you don't like the word soul, say human personality as largely a function of the body, or you know, even just perhaps just the brain? Yeah, there's plenty of people who see things that way. So it's a plausible view. You could also say, if you think you know, in terms of science fiction-y kind of stuff, think about these science fiction stories in which a person's mind is actually downloaded into some sort of physical state computer, mainly through their memories or something like that, you know, all their experiences, all that's, that's condensed there, or, you know, where you're trying to transport people and you're, like, reconstituting the whole being of the person. Well, then, you know, the personality or the soul would be a function of the body, wouldn't it? And if that's the case, you know, if we are, you know, we're in this computer kind of thing, boy, you better watch the hard drive on that or whatever it is that you're storing that memory on, because if it gets damaged, there goes the person. So this is kind of a plausible view, isn't it? Maybe more plausible in our own time than it was in Plato's time. So how can this be dealt with? Well, the arguments that Socrates makes against this would at least go for, you know, the soul being like a, a stringed instrument. And consider this analogy and where the analogy would break down. So you have a harmony, and the harmony is something that comes from strings in proper alignment with each other, and that is itself dependent on the instrument. Now, consider the relationship between the soul and the body and its parts or elements or whatever it is that we're going to analogize to that. Is it the same sort of relationship? So Socrates points out three main ways in which this isn't going to work. And the first way is fairly simple. Third way is fairly simple. Second way has actually got a little, little bit of complication and wrinkles to it. So let's, let's look at the first big issue. Well, it comes you know, right from the fact that do you have a harmony before you have this? No, you got to have an instrument before you can have a harmony. And actually, you know, in a certain sense, you could say, yeah, but, but wait a second. Um, how do you know how to play the instrument? Or how do, you, how do you even know how to tune the instrument? Don't you have to have a harmony, you know, to align that with before? Well, that, that's a plausible objection. Um, but I don't think that would actually strengthen the argument for things, for the soul being a harmony in this case. That would actually make it a little bit, a little bit trickier. So the, what we would say is the physical thing is ontologically prior, metaphysically prior. It comes first as a necessary condition for there to exist the, you know, incorporeal harmony. Is that the case with the body and the soul? Well, in the Platonic view that they're working with, no. Remember, they're relying on this doctrine of recollection. They already have taken for granted that the soul exists before the body and its elements. And the soul itself might be, you know, some sort of composite of different things, but it's going to be a composite prior to the body. So this analogy doesn't really work for that reason. Now, that's, that's a good objection. Let's, well, we'll come to, actually, I want to switch the order up with this. Let's look at the third objection then. Can a harmony be in a state that's different from the elements out of which it's formed, or is it dependent on those? Can the harmony resist the elements? Can the harmony make the strings 
sort of go differently than they, they would, so to speak, if we're going to extend this metaphor? Can the harmony actually affect the instrument itself and make the instrument do things that it wouldn't ordinarily do? If I was going to think about this and, and think very broadly, I would say, well, yeah, what about, you know, if you had a, a guitar and it's an electric guitar and you're too close to the amp and you start to get some feedback and imagine the kind of feedback that would actually like undo the strings or something like that. Okay, that's plausible. Nothing like that available for Plato. So the answer is no. A harmony can't resist or order around or make something else do what it doesn't want to do when it comes to the instrument or the strings. What about the body and the soul? Well, you know, think about the things that the body wants. Plato talks about exercise, gymnastics. Think about what happens when we work out. If you're working out and you're actually doing it well, you've all heard no pain, no gain. Why do you have to feel pain? Because your, your soul is actually telling your body, I know you don't like this, but you're going to do it anyway. Shut up and just keep on doing reps. Okay, well, that's the soul actually ordering the body around. The body also has all sorts of desires. The body says, hey, I want to drink. I'm thirsty. Should you drink as much as you want if you've been, like, marching around on a really hot day? No, you should probably actually drink fairly slowly. Otherwise, you're going to screw your body up. Your body doesn't care. Your body's like, drink, 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 drink. Get as much as I can. And your soul says, ah, no, 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 no. Got to take it easy. Just a little bit at a time. These are just examples. The soul actually directs the body. So the soul can't be a harmony because harmonies don't direct the things that they're harmonies of. This is all very interesting. Now, I wanted to treat the second argument separately because there's a little bit more going on there. One of the things that Socrates asks, harmonies, right? A harmony can be more or less. What do, I, what do we mean by that? Think, you know, about when something is slightly out of tune, it's not completely harmonious, now you, you tune it, and okay, now it's in tune, right? Now it's more harmonious, it's more of a harmony. As you then detune one of the strings, now it stops being as much of a harmony and there's more discord in it. Discord is the opposite of harmony. I suppose another way that you could say something becomes a harmony is when you add more texture or layers to it. So think of a chord. First, third, fifth, that's a basic chord structure for a major chord. Add in the seventh, and now you've got a more complex chord. Augment or diminish some of it, you've got a more complex chord that actually sometimes introduces kind of disharmonies into it or dissonances. Add the octave rather than the seventh, and another third and fifth. Now you've got a, a more complex chord, it's at least got more stuff, more harmony. So harmonies can be more or less. What about souls? Can a soul be more of a soul or less of a soul? You know, that might be a thought worth entertaining, but at least these interlocutors say, nah, that doesn't make sense. It's either a soul or it's not a soul. It's either yes or no. It's not a matter of degrees like it is for harmony. You either got a soul or you don't got a soul. Either the soul exists or it doesn't exist. It's one or the other. Pick that. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because if the soul is going to be a harmony... A harmony has to admit of degrees, and the soul doesn't actually admit of degrees, that's going to be a problem. And now here's where it gets really, really, really interesting. A soul can have things in it like virtues or vices, character traits that are fairly resistant to change, that make the person act, motivate them, have them perceive things, 
in different ways depending on who they are, how they are oriented by virtues or vices. So a greedy person as opposed to a just person. Greed is a vice. The greedy person is going to look at things and see opportunities to get over on people. The just person will see not just not opportunities, but obligations to make sure that everything stays within certain limits, doesn't transgress what's due to another person, what, what they deserve. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This is hard to follow a little bit in the text, I think, for people who are reading it for the first time. These virtues and vices, could they be harmonies? Yes. Could vice be a kind of discord? Yes. That makes sense. And virtues and vices, they admit of more or less. Somebody can be more courageous or less courageous. Somebody can be more lustful or less lustful. We can pick all sorts of things. More intemperate, less intemperate, to use Plato's terms. You can have more harmony, less harmony, more opposite of harmony, less opposite of harmony within the soul. And if that's the case, if you were going to say that the soul itself is a harmony, then you would actually have a harmony within a harmony as the soul, if you had a virtue in the soul. Imagine if you had, like, you know, five different virtues. You're just, temperate, courageous, pious, and wise, right? You'd have five different harmonies. Hopefully these, these harmonies wouldn't jar with each other, right? The, the soul would be incredibly complicated then, wouldn't it? It would be an incredibly complicated harmony that incorporates other harmonies within it. Does that really make sense to think of it that way? Well, let's think about it the other way. The soul itself is a harmony, but vices are the opposite of harmony discords. What would that mean is that within a harmony, you would have discordances, making it less of a harmony, right? And we've already agreed that the soul is either yes or no. It's either on or off. You either have a soul or you don't have a soul. It doesn't admit of degrees. It's not a more or less thing. But if a vice, which is a discord, could like make the soul itself less of a harmony, then it wouldn't be this way. It would be a matter of degrees. We've already said that can't be the case. So that can't work. The soul can't be a harmony. But notice, that doesn't mean that the soul can't have harmonies and discords within it. It just can't be a harmony. See the, the fundamental difference between having on the one hand and being on the other hand? It's really quite interesting to think about. And, and Plato doesn't follow this thought out. I, I kind of wish that he did. But, I mean, that's something that we can actually do in our own time, is follow out this notion of, you know, virtues and vices as harmonies and, and disharmonies, and how would they align with each other? Would, would vices actually, like, you know, harmonize with each other? Or are, because they're discordant, would they actually be discordant to each other? That's an interesting question that's not, not being asked here. And that actually takes us beyond the realm of the argument itself. Last thing that I want to point out is... All these arguments show us that, look, this is not going to work. The soul is not going to be a harmony. And if that was standing in the way of the soul being immortal, then we have good reason to think that the soul is immortal. Is that the only possible objection that you would possibly be able to make to the soul being immortal? No, it's, it's not. So this argument or set of arguments by itself does not actually prove beyond a doubt that the soul is immortal. It just proves that if you want to argue against that and you're going to do it this way, that's not going to work. So there's a big difference there. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.